What's up? How's everybody doing? Awesome. I was gone last week, and uh, I listened to the message that Donnie preached last week, and if you were not here, you need to go online and uh, listen to it just like I did. Go on our website or go on iTunes and find it. He did a fantastic job kicking off this uh, Once Upon a Marriage series that we we started last week talking about biblical marriages and uh, and, and last week, Donnie talked about how the fact that marriage is created by God for your good. And, uh, and if you were here last week, or if you listened to it online, there was one word that you should have in your mind about last week's message, and it starts with an S. Does anybody say it out loud? Suitable. Suitable. That's exactly right. And so, uh, again, if you did not listen to that, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to it, because one of the things we really want to encourage you to do uh, if at all possible, barring uh, injury or emergency, we'd love for you to be here every Sunday this month. We'd love for you to be here every Sunday every month, you know. But, uh, but this month, we'd really love for you to be here every Sunday because we are talking about serious marriage issues that, that, uh, that I think that if you, they kind of build on each other. And as you hear one after the other, it will be good for the total uh, idea of what your marriage is. And, uh, and I know Donnie talked a little bit about this last week, but let me reiterate again. This is not just for people who are already married, all right? If you, in fact, um, next week especially, I'm going to be speaking even more directly next week to those of you who want to be married one day and, uh, and, and about how that, that process should look in your life. And so, uh, so we want to be sure that you know that, that if you're here that you're not married, you've been married and you're not married now, or you're hoping to be married one day or, or whatever, this, this series is for you because a lot of these things we're talking about, these, these uh, concepts go into every one of your relationships, not just your marriage relationships. Now, let me say this. If you're here and you are married, um, what we're hoping is that this series will prompt you to do something, to take some type of action. Because chances are you, you could either be here and, and maybe you feel like you're like days or weeks away from divorce court and, and, and you just, your, your marriage is desperate. And so you obviously, you know, you need to take some action. There needs to be some things done. Maybe you're here and, and you've got a fantastic marriage, a marriage that people like Dr. Dobson would write books about how good your marriage is. And, and even if your marriage is like that, you still, we still want you to take small steps to try to improve it, even if it's that good. But I, I imagine, now I'm not positive about this, but I believe that probably the majority of you are not in either one of those camps. The majority of you are not on your way to divorce court, and the majority of you are not so passionately in love that your marriage, people would write books about how awesome it is. Chances are the majority of you are just kind of in this middle area which would just say, you're just married. You got married sometime, and now you're married, and you're just trying to do life, and if you have a date every now and then, it's just by accident, and, you know, that's kind of the way real life goes, and it's, so it's especially for those of you in that group, which I think is the majority of you, that I hope that, that what will happen by the end of these four weeks that we're spending together, that, that you're going to take some type of action. You're going to learn something through these four Bible stories, these four stories of biblical marriages, and you're going to find something to say, I'm going to work on that, I'm going to change this, we're going to do this together. And, uh, and so we really, we really want that to, uh, to happen. 50%, 50%, it's the number that all of you have heard. 50% of marriages in this country don't make it. Half of them. So in a Saturday in June... 
I can only imagine that there's probably thousands of marriages that take place in the United States of America. And let's say the first Saturday in June that across the country there's 5,000 marriages that day. 50% of them, 2,500 of them will end in divorce. It's a statistic that we're so familiar with that I think we've become numb to it. But, but if I were to tell you today, if I told you that when you leave here today, that when you go down here to the three-way stop at Gap Creek Road and Country Club Road, that 50% of the people that travel through that three-way stop today are going to die in an auto accident, you would do something about that, would you not? You would make sure you didn't go that way. You would block off the road to keep anyone else from getting killed. You would take action if you knew 50% of the people that went down there were going to be killed in an auto accident. But unfortunately, when it comes to our marriages, we hear the statistic, yeah, 50% of marriages end in divorce, and then ours just kind of gets so-so, and maybe it starts to go so bad, and we still don't take the drastic action that's needed. And so, so that's, what this, that's what this month is about. It's, it's not just about you keeping you from divorce, but it's about your marriage being all that God wants it to be. And, uh, and so we hope that you'll take some action. So today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from 1 Samuel 25. So you can go and be looking that up in your Bibles. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament, and uh, it's kind of towards the beginning of the Old Testament. And by the way, if you've got your Bible and you have to use the table of contents to find 1 Samuel, that is totally okay. I don't feel guilty about that at all. And if you're sitting on a row with like some kid that, that aced out at Bible drill and they're trying to make you feel guilty, just tell them, hey, I've always been remedial in everything, so it's no big deal that I have to use the table of contents. So use the table of contents if you need to. 1 Samuel 25, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about, um, talking about a marriage between David and a woman named Abigail, King David, who, who at this time was not yet the king. We'll talk about that in a minute. So it's kind of like, uh, like the royal wedding because he was going to be king, but he wasn't king yet, and, and he got married. Um, did any of you watch the royal wedding that was on this spring? I better not see any men's hands raised out there. Um, did, any, did you watch it? I'm just kidding. I saw one guy raise his hand. He's a friend of mine. Um, now, how many of you, if you would admit it, how many of you actually got up in the middle of the night to watch it live because watching on DVR just wasn't good enough? Awesome. One person who's being honest out here. Hey, let me just say this to the, to the ladies out here who are not yet married, girls that are not yet married, listen to me. If you watch that wedding, your wedding is not going to be like that. Your daddy does not have the millions of dollars to spend. Your dress is not going to look like Kate, uh, Go- not Kate Gosselin, that's like the lady with all the babies, isn't it? <laughs> Kate Middleton, you see how much I'm into this stuff. Your wedding is not going to look, I mean, your dress is not going to look like Kate Middleton's, it's probably not going to look like Kate Gosselin's dress either, because she's made a bunch of money on TV. Um, So I just want to just let you know that, so get the dads off the hook here, all right? And uh, and your wedding is probably just going to be very normal. Hey, before we we get to 1 Samuel 25, what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about speaking words of life into your marriage, speaking words of life into your marriage. And I want to start by reading... Uh, a verse from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. Whether you're aware of it or not, or whether you want to believe it or not, all of you have tremendous power by the words you speak. 
and especially into your relationships and especially into your marriage relationships, you have the choice to either speak words of life into that relationship or words of death into that relationship. Some of you are very familiar with the fact that Proverbs 18.21 is true because some of you in here, you grew up in a home where you had words of death spoken into you by your parents on a regular basis. Some of you grew up in a home where your parents would say things to you like, why do you have to be so stupid? And you'll never accomplish anything. And you always let me down. And you grew up in a home like that, and you know what that did to you internally. You know how that, that sets you into the world in a negative vein, and you've had to overcome that. Some of you grew up in a home where you had words of life spoken into you on a daily basis. And your parents would tell you how proud they were of you. And, and they would gently correct you when you did do stupid things, because we all do stupid things from time to time. But they were speaking words of life into you. And you know how that sets you up to be ready for success and to be ready to face what life brought your way. And the same is true in our marriages, that we have the ability to speak words of life or to speak words of death into our marriages. And so we're going we're gonna to read a, a story, an old story, that, <clears throat> that in fact the marriage doesn't come till the very end of the story. What, what we're reading about today is kind of all the prequel that led up to the marriage. But you're going to see today about the power of, of the words of life. So 1 Samuel 25, and I'm just going to kind of read and stop and talk and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you're taking notes, um, you're just going to need to, to write down any good stuff you hear. I don't necessarily have a point one, two, and three today, but there's so, many, there's so much good lessons in these verses, so you just need to write down that stuff. And if you're not taking notes, you need to write down some stuff anyway, all right, because uh, this is going to be good stuff. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on the Scripture here. 1 Samuel 25, starting with verse 1, says this. Now Samuel died. That was the prophet of Israel. Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. That, guys, that's what you're looking for right there, all right? Can't be good-looking and dumb or, or just uh, smart and ugly. You want both if you can get it, all right? Intelligent and beautiful. Intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband, a Calebite, now listen how it describes Nabal, was surly and mean in his dealings. I don't exactly know what surly the meaning of that word is, but it must have been bad. I think that what they want us to know here is that basically Nabal was a, a huge jerk and, and nobody liked him and he was just hard to get along with. And so verse 4 says this, while David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my, my name. Say to him, long life to you. Good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. What you need to understand here is that David was living on the run. 
Uh, see, David, this was, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath, and David killed the giant Goliath. That happened about 15 years before this story takes place. And what had happened since David killed Goliath is uh, David was, he, he was going into battles, and he was winning lots of battles, and people really began to get excited about who David was. But see, David was not yet the king of Israel. The king of Israel was a guy named Saul. And David was going to be the king one day, Samuel, who we mentioned in verse 1, who just died, had already told David, hey, you're, gonna, you're the real king of Israel. You're going to be the king one day. And, and so David's going out. He's winning these battles. And he's coming home from war. And people are singing his praises in the street. And Saul starts to get jealous because Saul's the king and not David. And he doesn't like that everybody's really excited about David. And Saul decides he wants to kill David. And the way David finds out, David didn't have to, like, tap his phones or get secret agents to find out. One day they're all sitting around eating dinner, and Saul picks up a spear and chunks it at David's head. So David, being the sharp guy that he is, he said, I think I need to leave now. And so David's on the run. And so that's what's going on right now is David is, is living out in the countryside. He's got about 600 men with him, so he's, he's not all alone. So that's a good thing that he's not all by himself, but also... When you have 600 men with you, you've got to provide for them. You've got to provide for their needs. So when, when David has this conversation with Nabal here, or he sends his servant to talk to Nabal, he's not trying to mooch. He's not going up to Nabal and saying, hey, uh, we're just kind of out here and we're panhandling. If you can give us anything, you can give us. David had, a, had a, a, a kind of a protection agency going. So what would happen is people would be out in the, in the, in the area out there, and like Nabal's people, they'd be out there shearing their sheep. And David and his men would protect them. And he'd say, hey, we're going to protect you. And all we ask uh, for, for, from you, for us giving you this protection, is you provide us with some food, you provide us with some water, and, uh, and you take care of our animals, and that's all we want. So David, was when he, when he goes to Nabal here, he's not mooching, but he's going to him and saying, I've provided you with a service. Hey, now, if you don't mind, if you could pay me for that service. And so that, that's what was going on here. So let's see how, uh, how Nabal reacts. Now, remember... Nabal is surly and mean in his dealings. So let's see what happens here. Verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Now, one of the things I forgot to say at the beginning of this message is over the next few weeks, there's going to be times when I'm going to speak directly to the women, and then women, you're going to think, God, he's on my case about this, and then you're just going to turn around like five minutes later, I'm going to be laying the smack down on your husbands, all right? Because we all, we all need this. And so I want to say something to the women right now. Verse 10, what Nabal does there is extremely important for women to understand, especially about communicating with men. I don't, if you notice what Nabal does there, Nabal does two things. He calls into question David's identity. He says, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? And then not only does, she, does he call into question David's identity, he calls into question David's motives. Because he says, hey, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. As if David is coming to him uh, you know, under false pretenses. Now, ladies, if you want to drive your husband away from you, if you want to see your husband turn on you, then begin to question who he is as a man. 
Question his motives and question his identity. And you will see a side of your husband come out that you don't ever want to deal with. Especially if you begin to question his motives. If he's coming to you. Because see, here's the thing. Here's what you need to understand. What makes this so much worse. Now in verse 6, what kind of words was David speaking to Nabal? Look at verse 6. It says, long life to you. David is speaking words of life to Nabal. He's speaking words of life into Nabal. And Nabal responds with words of death back to him. In your marriages, if, if, you, are, if you consistently, if, if one, one partner or the other, one, one spouse or the other, is speaking words of life into the other one, and it is consistently met with words of death back, that is going to move that person so much further away from you. For, you know... I know that none of you in your marriages ever get in arguments. I know that's just something that happens on sitcoms. But just say for a minute that you got in an argument with your husband or your wife. If you can imagine something like that happening, try to go into fantasy world and imagine that, okay? Now, chances are, I would, I would venture to say probably 95% of the arguments that you have in your marriage are really about trivial things when it boils down to it. Now, at the time, it seemed really, really important. And at the time, it seemed like it was worth just speaking ugly to the other person and ignoring them and slamming doors and squealing the tires as you went out of the driveway. At the time, that seemed very, very important. But really, it was probably a trivial thing in the big scheme of what your marriage is all about. Now, imagine this if if you've been in one of these arguments. And one spouse or the other, it doesn't matter, husband, wife, either one, they realize, you know, this was, just, this was just stupid and I was wrong. And, and so, so they go to the other one and they begin to, to apologize. And they begin to talk about that they were wrong and, you know, can you forgive me and all that stuff. Now, what's happened is, is that, that one, one person has decided, okay, we've both been dumb. We've both been speaking words of death to each other. I'm going to make a good faith effort here. I'm going to go forward and I'm going to speak words of life back in to try to try to help this situation and try to make this thing right. Now, when that happens, if that is met from the other person with words of death, for you to say, you don't really mean that. You see, you're questioning motives. Or for you to say, you never do that kind of stuff and you're always doing this. You're, you're, you're impugning the per- other person's identity. And you think that things were bad before. If they begin to step towards you with words of life and you meet them with words of death, where they were about here, as far as being far away from you, when they make a good faith gesture and you meet it with words of death, now they're way over here. And it's going to be even harder to get that thing back together. You have extreme power in your words. And especially if someone comes to you and they make a good faith effort in your marriage to speak words of life to you, just like David did to Nabal. And then when that's greeted with words of death, it causes all kinds of problems. So let's see what had happened in in this situation. Verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. I kind of imagine this was, you know, kind of like David's men, like saying, dude, you you ain't going to take that, man. He said this, and then he said this other thing, and you won't even believe Then Nabal got all like red in the face. Come on, man, what are you going to do? But you know, you know how guys do. I know guys, you understand that. And uh, verse 13, so look what David says. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Do you see what's happened here? David has a temper problem. David's a bit of a hothead. 
And what's happened here is the fact that he went forward and tried to speak words of life to Nabal, but it was met with words of death. It brought out the worst in David. Now, David needs to work on his temper. I'm not saying it's okay the way he reacted. But what I am saying is, is that the words of death that Nabal spoke to him, it brought out the worst side of David. And now he's going up there and, and he's, he's getting ready to take care of business. So let's go back, to, go back to Nabal's camp and see what's happening there. Verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled inserts at them. Uh, insults, not inserts. How do you hurl an insert at somebody? He hurled insults at them. Um, so evidently what's happening here is that Nabal's servants, they realize that Abigail is a wise woman. They know that she's intelligent. They probably know she's beautiful if they can look at her, like we know the scripture says. But what's happened here is this servant, he realizes he's probably heard David's uh, reputation. He knows David wins battles. He knows David takes people out. And, and he's thinking, man, our, our master... Nabal, he said some stupid stuff here, and he's going to get all of us killed. So he said, i got to intervene. i got to do something. So he goes to Abigail, and, and he, he's uh, you know, imploring her, Abigail, can you please do something about this? Can you do something about your crazy husband? In verse 15, look what happens. He continues to talk to Abigail. He says, yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing, night and day. They were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Verse 18, Abigail lost no time. Now let me stop right there. This was an urgent situation that needed to be acted on immediately. And I would say to you today that in many of your marriages, it's exactly the same type of situation. This is, working on your marriage, it needs to be something that you lose no time in doing. That you don't need to keep marriage in the, in the category of, I'll work on that one day. You don't need to put your marriage into, once when the kids get gone and we get the house paid off and, and life settles down a little bit, then We'll try to get, have a really good marriage. Then we'll spend extra time together. Then we'll have date night. Then we'll go away on a weekend together. That's not something that you need to put off and wait till later. There's many of you out there today that you're putting that off, and you need to get like Abigail was, and you need to make sure that it's an issue that you lose no time over. Now, look at the rest of that verse. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Now I want you to notice what Abigail does here. Abigail is going, and in a minute we're going to read where she's going to speak words of life into David. But when she shows up, notice that she doesn't show up empty-handed. She's, she's got stuff with her. She's going to speak words of life, but she's going to back up the words that she speaks with the stuff that she's got with her. Evidently, I can't understand why, but like cakes of pressed figs was a good thing back then, right? I guess it would be like today if she showed up with like 28 pounds of ribeyes and you know, some good stuff like that that men would really like. So she shows up, but, but she's going to back up 
her words with actions. And, and we, in our marriages, if you're going to speak words of life into your marriage, that's, that's huge and that's important. But you've got to be willing to back up the words that you speak. Now, let me talk to the men here for just a second. See, ladies, I told you I was going to do that. To the men. Men, sometimes I think we are worse at this than our wives. That men, sometimes we want to speak words of life, but we don't always back up the words that we speak. We want to tell our wives and our kids how wonderful we think they are and how great it is to be married to them and how great it is to be dads and all that kind of stuff and how much more important they are than our job. But then sometimes we don't back up those words with actions. And when we do that, especially to our wives, when we, when we continue to tell them how important they are and how much we love them and, and all that kind of stuff, and we don't back up those words with actions, they begin to think those words can't be true. Because he tells me this all the time and it never makes a difference. So if your marriage really is a priority, you need to back up your words with actions. You've got to back it up. You've always got to back up your words with, with, with what you're, I mean, back up with your words by, with what you do. So look at the person next to you and say, back that thing up, all right? Some of y'all don't even get that. It's probably good that you don't. All right. Let's look what happens next. Verse 19. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Now remember, they've got their swords on. They're coming to take care of business. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. Now remember, all that's happened here has been words being spoken. But the words were so important that David says, those were evil words. These pay me back evil for good. I did good to him and he gave me words of death. Verse 22, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Look back at verse 6 again. How did David initially greet uh, 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 Nabal? Long life to you. Now, verse 22, he says, I'm bringing my boys and we're going to kill everybody up in this place. It's going to be bad news. I'm taking everybody out. That's what he says. So do you see that the change that's happened just over words that have been spoken? So check out what Abigail does. This is, this is where the wisdom really comes through in the story. Verse 23 says this. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone please let your servant that when she says your servant she's talking about herself please let your servant speak to you hear what your servant has to say may my lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal he is just like his name his name is fool and folly goes with him but as for me your servant I did not see the men my master sent now Since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Now check out what she does here next in verse 28. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, 
The life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from a pocket of a sling. When the Lord, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master's success, remember your servant. Now that's a lot of words, but let me tell you what Abigail just did there that is so powerful and can revolutionize your marriage is Abigail chose to speak to the better part of David. Abigail spoke to the God potential in David's life. You see, inside all of us, we have great potential for good and great potential for evil. It's basic theology. Genesis 1.26 tells us that all of us were made in the image of God. And then Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so within all of us, we carry the image of God. So there is potential for good. And also within all of us, we are broken by sin. So we carry the potential for great evil. And what Abigail does here is she speaks to the image of God in David. She speaks not to what David was, but she speaks to what David would become. Now remember, David is not yet the king. Remember that? He's going to be the king one day. But in verse 28, she speaks to him as if he's the king. She says, Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. She's talking about him being a king. She's She's saying to him, Listen, if you do this thing you're going to do, if you kill all these people, then that's going to be hanging on your conscience And that's going to be part of your reputation. And you're going to be a great king one day. And so she's speaking words of life to David about the king one day that he's going to be, that he is not yet there. If you will begin to, in your marriages, if you will begin to speak not to the actions of your husband or your wife, but you will begin to speak to the potential of your husband or your wife, you're going to see revolutionary things happen in your marriage. If you will begin to speak to, your, to, the, to the king in your husband or the queen in your wife, you will see all kinds of things happen in your marriage that you never thought could happen before. So, so women, stop nagging your husband and instead speak to the king in him. And, and men... Stop talking down to your wives and instead speak to the queen in them. I told you earlier during Proverbs 18.21, we were talking about you know, how some of you grew up in houses where you had words of death spoken into you and some you had words of, of life spoken into you. Uh, ever since my girls have been young, I've, I've told them I'm proud of them and that I'm proud to be their dad. Now, now my, my daughters are 17 and 11, so they're actually beginning to be able to do things that that by actions I can be proud of. But when they were two or three years old, I would say, hey, I'm proud of you and I'm proud to be your dad. Now, what did a two or three-year-old, I mean, what did they, I mean, all a two or three-year-old had done at that point was keep me up a lot and change my sleep patterns. And, uh, you know, we had to carry a lot more stuff on vacation than we normally did. But as far as actually accomplishing things that that, that matter in the world, they haven't done anything yet because they were children. But when I was telling my girls when they were two or three years old, I'm proud of you, I'm proud to be your dad, I wasn't speaking to their actions, I was speaking to their potential. I was speaking to what I wanted them to become, what I knew they could become, and I was speaking to their identity. See, their identity was was the fact that God had given them to me as my daughters, and that was always going to be precious to me. And some of you need to begin 
speaking less to the actions of your husband, less to the actions of your wife. I'm sure they're not perfect. I'm sure they let you down. I'm sure they've done some things that tick you off. But instead of speaking to the actions that they've done, speak to their potential. Speak to what they can become. Speak to the image of God in them and speak to their identity. Because what their identity is, is they are the husband or the wife that God has planned for you. This is a holy thing you're in the middle of, marriage. For, for some of us, for, for some of you, the last time your marriage was holy was the day you stood in a church and said holy words in front of a pastor. But marriage is a holy institution. God created it for our good, just like Donnie talked about last week. And you're in the middle of it now. And you have the opportunity to speak words of life into your marriage. You have the opportunity to speak to the identity of your husband or your wife. And that identity is that they have been given to you by God. Not for your aggravation. Not to be used by you. But they've been given to you by God as your helper, as your friend, as your constant companion. And as the person you're supposed to go through life with until one of you breathes your last. So Abigail says all these great words to David. Let's see what the result is. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. So David goes from mass murderer to now praising God. You see what the power of these words were. But then I love the next verse, verse 34. David still wants to retain some of his macho-ness. So he says, Otherwise, as surely as the Lord the God of Israel is, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. So he's saying, I just want to let you know, I was serious. I was going to kill everybody. Just wanted you to know that. But now, I'm not. Verse 35. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. The other thing that I don't want you to miss in here is that when Abigail approached David with these words of life, do you remember the first thing that it said that she did? Does anybody remember? It was in verse 23. It says she bowed down before David. Guys, don't get excited. I'm not about to tell all your wives they got to bow down at your feet. But the important thing to notice there is that she approached David humbly. She didn't get in his face. She didn't tell him how immoral he was. She approached him humbly. And if you want to speak words of life into your spouse and truly see them make a difference, then you need to be humble before your wives, humble before your husbands. Not that you have all the answers. Not that you're there to straighten them out. Ladies, not that you're there to help them be more mature. We're just going to be immature sometimes, ladies. You just got to start to deal with that. But that you go before your husbands, you go before your wives humbly, not making them feel guilty. When um, there's been times when I'll be teaching up here and, um, and later in the week, Sherry will say, hey, I don't know if you realize it or not, but this Sunday, you seemed to be really mean when you were speaking. 
And she'll say to me, and I know that you're not mean. And what she's doing is she's speaking to the better part of my nature. She's speaking to the potential in me. Now, she didn't come up to me and say, that was terrible today. You're a meanie. Why do you talk like that to people? But she comes to me and she says, and, and chances are I'll listen back to it and I'll say, yeah, I must have been ticked off that day. And, uh, and, but she will approach me humbly and then speak words of life into me to the better part of my nature. And she doesn't say, you're a terrible person. She says, I know that you're a good person. I know that you're not mean. I know that you want to encourage people and not to beat them down. And so by speaking words of life into me, it makes a difference. And by the way, she approaches me. So verses 36 through 41, I'm not going to read out loud because you're thinking, wait a minute, Cliff, wasn't there going to be a marriage involved in this whole thing? So let me tell you the end of the story. Let me tell you what happens for the rest of the time. Um, so, so that's what happens. David isn't going to kill people now. Abigail goes home, and when she gets home, surly and mean Nabal, by the way, we also find out he's a drunk. So she gets home, he's you know, stoned out of his mind, doesn't know what's going on. So she doesn't tell him anything that's happened. The next day, he wakes up, sobers up. She tells him everything that happened. This is what happened. David was going to kill you. I went out there. I gave him some pressed figs, saved your life. And the scripture says that when Nabal got that news, you know what he did? He died, just like that. Dropped dead right at that time. David gets word from one of Abigail's servants, hey, Nabal's dead. And David said, hey, she was beautiful, intelligent. She spoke words of life into me. Why don't you come on over here, baby, and be my wife? <laughs> and so he sends, he sends David, David sends one of his servants. They go get Abigail. The two of them get married, and David and Abigail are now married. So that's the marriage part. But, uh, so I thought that was you know, just a crazy thing that happened. So again, ladies, if you're single, you know, be speaking words of life into somebody and you never know, um, you know, what might happen. Maybe your husband will die. No, I'm just kidding. We don't want that to happen. Hey, listen, it's all in the Scripture. It's not, I'm not making this stuff up. So here's what I want you to think about before we go home. Whether you're married or not married, I want you to think about this in terms of your relationships. But if you are married, I want you to think about it specifically in terms of your marriage relationships. And I want to ask you this question. Do you typically speak into your spouse words of life or death? Now, I'm not talking about you lose your cool every now and then. No one's perfect. But what is the typical conversation that comes out of your mouth towards your spouse? Is it words of life or is it words of death? Now, if you don't know the answer to that, then chances are you and your spouse needs to have a conversation. And you need to be willing to hear what they say. And you might need to hear them say to you, normally it's words of death. Or they might say to you, uh, it's words of death on Monday nights when you come home from work every single week. Whatever it might be. But what is, what's typical for you? Are you speaking words of life and words of, or words of death? And then I want to challenge each of you in here that you'll make a choice because this stuff doesn't happen by accident. You have to choose that you will make a choice to instead of speaking to your husband or your wife's actions that you will speak to their potential. 
that you will speak to the king or the queen in them. Speak to what you want them to become. Speak to what God can do in them. And begin to pray that as you speak those words of life, that they will come alive in their heart and God will begin to work. And then the reality is, in a room this size, I know that some of you just need to ask, begin by just asking forgiveness from your spouse. Some of you need to go home today and before you get home, put the kids in the back of the van, crank up some loud kids' music so they can't hear you, and you just need to begin apologizing before you get to El Mariachi to eat and just say, I've been a jerk. I've been consistently speaking words of death. I want you to pray for me. I want you to help me to know how I can do better. Some of you need to begin by, by asking forgiveness. And then some of you need to make a, an appointment about a week or two from now with each other. Go ahead and put it on the calendar and say two weeks from today we're going we're gonna to go out to eat, just the two of us, and we're going we're gonna to evaluate what we've done over the last couple of weeks. We're going to evaluate how we've talked to one another. I know it's just words, but words have the power of life and they have the power of death. And you can revolutionize your marriage with just words. Guys, aren't you glad to know that you don't have to buy a $10,000 diamond ring? That you can just consistently speak words of life and back it up? And if you got the money to buy a ring, buy her a ring, you know? Ladies, I, I'll help you out with that one. So I want us to say a prayer to end here. There's no invitation today, and I'm not asking you to come forward. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. We'll talk to you about that next week. But I just, what I'm praying is that, that those of you here today, that you will take seriously the idea that words that come out of your mouth can do great damage or can do great good. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you've given us tongues to speak with. Lord, we confess to you that oftentimes or many times, that the, uh, the things we say are, uh, can be hurtful and, and not uh, glorifying to you. So, Father, I pray that in our marriages especially, that we would be um, mindful of what we say. Lord, I pray for marriages in this room, those that can hear me speaking, that you would do miracles in them, that those who are close to giving up, that today they would uh, find reason to hope and, and trust in you to, to save their marriage. And Lord, those that think their marriage is fantastic, I pray that you'd continue to grow that marriage. Make it stronger than ever. Help them to be a blessing to other married couples. And Father, for those here today who are not married yet, I pray that they would speak words of life into every relationship that they're a part of, not just uh, those that, of folks that they would like to marry one day or hope to get married to one day. Father, remind us over and over again that you consistently, when you were on this earth in human form, you were speaking words of life into your disciples, speaking to their potential, and help us to do that to the people in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.